some days I'm just like, okay, I'm going to be outside for four hours and then I'm going to go home and then I'm going to curl up on my couch and I'm going to turn on the switch and I'm going to fall asleep with it on. Uh, and that's, that's fine. And like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of adults, like older than me adults, uh, think that like kids just because they're always on their phones means that like, you know, they're not going to be outdoorsy people, but like, you got to teach them balance. and like, just don't make them do it all the time. And then they'll do it on their own. I think when you make going outside a chore, it remains a chore or like a, a punishment. And I don't think it should be like that. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Lion. And I believe that we only grow when we are outside our comfort zone. And that opportunity comes through our choice or life circumstances. In this episode, I'm joined by the amazing Sabrina, who is a trained archaeologist and land conservationist. Sabrina is a badass woman who has cut down 100-foot trees, started fires to protect the land, and gone diving in blackwater environments. I hope this conversation with Sabrina inspires you to take a small step towards deepening your relationship with nature and getting to know yourselves better in the process. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining. And thank you so much to our audience for making the time to be here. Uh, my name is Farhan, and I am a digital nomad and a global citizen. And we have an amazing guest for you today, who I will introduce momentarily. Um, before I do, I wanted to just introduce um, today's theme. Um, there are a few themes which I'm very passionate about exploring on this here series of ours. And one of them is women's empowerment and showcasing strong, independent women who are striking it out in their own right um, as part of inspiring not just other women, but inspiring all of us um, to do more um, and to broaden our horizons and to see how amazing, um, you know, some of these women are. Um, and as part of that, making the conscious choice to step out of our comfort zone to practice our muscles of resilience and creativity. Um, and in today's um, sort of episode, we're looking to do that as part of developing a deeper relationship with nature so that it allows us to tap into our source, um, you know, uh, in times uh, when life can get hard um, or as part of building, um, you know, sort of strong resilience. And so without further ado, um, I want to introduce Sabrina. Sabrina is uh, a badass and a conservationist, <laughs> naturist, archaeologist, diver. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Um, and, um, <laughs> you sound way cool as my feel. 
<laughs> um, basically, that's what I have. Um, Sabrina, is there anything that you would like to add before um, we dive into it? Uh, I guess just cool, apparently cool person extraordinaire. Uh, also, I feel like on top of that, I'm also a burner, which is how we met. Uh, so that's fun. Yes, yes. Tell the audience the story of how we met. Okay, I don't know who told you to come to me, uh, but we met at Love Burn, which is uh, one of our regional Burning Man events here in Florida. And um, I, I don't remember what day this was even, because uh, I think I was like setting up the med tent at one point, um, it, living my existence and probably a little more drunk than I should have been, because uh, I wasn't on shift, so who cares, right? Um, and like you come walking up, you're like, hi. And I'm like, hello. Uh, thinking that, I don't know, like you're some injured person because that's how it goes. You don't come to me, um, just to be friendly and nice, but you introduce yourself. You're like, someone else said to come over and talk to you. And I was like, that sounds wrong. Um, uh, and I think we've just been like, we like said hi, like all the time ever since, like we like would pass each other, like over the course of the burn, we're like, oh, what's up? And we like hug and then we go our separate ways, which I feel like is the way that burns go. Um, and somewhere I think close to the end of everything, you're like, hey, want to on a podcast? And I was like, sure, person I met at a burn, you'll remember that. Um, and then you did, which is very surprising. Um, because usually people who say, oh, we're going to do this, we absolutely don't. And that's okay, you know. Um, then you followed up. And so here we are, months later. Yo, for the magic to happen, you got to follow up. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sure. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank um, you so much for that. Um, you know, as we start... Um, getting to know a little bit more about you and your nature with relationship. I I remember when we were initially having our conversation, um, I appreciated what I will call the three stages of your relationship with nature, right? Um, first stage being when you first moved um, to Florida, the second, um, but why don't we begin there um, and tell us a little bit about, you know, that first stage, paint us a picture around, you know, where you came from and, and, and what it represented. Um, yeah, let's totally. go through the stages. So I'm a Florida native first. I was born in Miami, raised uh, in Sarasota. Uh-oh. Someone says that we're all, we're both sideways. Oh, no. Sorry. Ring the, ring the chat. I don't know if that's supposed to help you or not. Um, but anyway, um, when we moved to Sarasota, where I live now, when I was a kid, um, my grandma used to just like roll me outside and be like, you're just going to be here. This is where you live now. Um, and so I had a little bit of that, you know, learning about how like caterpillars worked and like all that stuff. And I was like, I remember like a little... My grandma, like, yeah, she would just roll me outside and, like, we'd take, like, really long walks. And um, yeah. over over the course of, like, a lot of, like, my early childhood, like, you get, like, a lot of, like, nature time, which was pretty cool of my grandma. Um, yeah, my, my grandma rules also, just in general. Um, and then there was, I feel like, a point in time where, like, I didn't do a lot of outdoorsy stuff. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a gamer. Yeah. Um, so, no, I played a lot of video games uh, in my 
those like growing up years and so like mm. while i wasn't outside as often as like i had been as a kid which i feel like is kind of part of the course right um and then as i was nearing the end of high school i was like oh i'm gonna go be a historian and then i thought about being inside forever because that's what i thought historians did they don't uh, they're not just inside all the time forever but uh, I chose to go to school for archaeology because I'm like, that's history, but outside. Uh, who, who wouldn't like that? And so I pretty much have just been outside ever since. Um, mm-hmm. Went to school for archaeology. You're outdoors for, you know, a very long time. Um, and then I served for two years with AmeriCorps, with our uh, state conservation corps. And I was outside for uh, like, what, 3,400 hours of, uh, of time. And I now get to teach kids about nature outside sometimes. And that is also fantastic. Uh, so Hell I'm just yeah. I know. And even if I'm not outside, like, I have a bunch of plants. I'm not going to turn the camera because that's going to be work. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, there's just plants all over my house. So even if I'm not outside, I'm kind of outside a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so the way I understand it is, you know, in the very early stage of your life, um, you had your grandma and your mom to thank you for taking them to nature walks, taking them to the beach quite often. And obviously living in Florida, um, you're lucky to sort of have that very accessible as opposed to New York City, which is where you, you know, lived uh, for some time before moving back to Florida. Um, But tell us more about sort of, you know, um, the stage in your life when you started to develop a more independent relationship with nature um and sort of some of the memories around that there comes a point i feel like in the the life of a local floridian where uh you don't have to go outside with your family anymore like if you're going to like the beach like you can just do it yourself um i think there came a point where like my mom, you know, like, was working, and I didn't have anything better to do, uh, and so I would start going to the beach by myself, which is, like, very mm-hmm. different from going to the beach as a kid, you know, where everything, like, your yeah. mom's watching you, or, and, like, when you're out there just with your friends, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a different feeling. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I went from this, like, kid who was, like, very reliant on, like, you know, my family to go to the beach or go outside or do whatever to, like, being, like, an in-between kid who, um, if I wasn't inside playing video games, or reading manga, or watching anime, uh, I was out, just out and about, doing, I don't know, beach kid stuff. I don't even remember what I did. I was just there. Uh, and your friends would be like, oh, we're going to go to the beach. Let's just go. And I don't know. I guess it's what I feel is quintessentially, like, I don't know, like my experience, like that was just, you know, what, what we all did at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we really yeah. thought anything about it. Like, I didn't know anything about plants. I'm not there to be a, I wasn't a plant kid. <laughs> I was a book kid. So uh, coming into being a, a plant person is, has been fun, uh, but very, very different from what I was like when I was uh, a youngster, um, just splashing around and being like, is that a jellyfish? I don't know. Um, yeah. And you know, one thing that's very interesting that I didn't realize earlier is As a gamer, as somebody who's really into anime, manga, the stereotype is is that, you know, people who are gamers don't tend to be uh, ones who enjoy spending a lot of time outdoors. And you're like a beautiful anomaly in that, you know, you enjoy all these things, yet, you know, you 
um, are really steeped in the outdoors and made a career out of it, right? Yeah, like I kind of screech bounce, right? Because some days, honestly, like I'm looking outside now, I'm going to go outside later. I don't always want to go. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I could sit on my couch and just just turn on the Xbox and then it can be 9 p.m. when I look up again. Um, but I think that like you can't do that all the time. Just like you kind of can't be outside all the time. Eventually, like, I don't know. Uh, it gets, for me at least, it gets taxing. Where like, I'm like, I love the outdoors. Like, just don't get me wrong. But some days I'm just like, okay, I'm going to be outside for four hours and then I'm going to go home and then I'm going to curl up on my couch and I'm going to turn on the switch and I'm going to fall asleep with it on. Uh, and that's, that's fine. And like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of adults, like older than me adults, uh, think that like kids just because they're always on their phones means that like, you know, they're not going to be outdoorsy people, but like, you got to teach them balance. and like, just don't make them do it all the time and then they'll do it on their own. Um, I think when you make going outside a chore, uh, it, it remains a chore or like a, a punishment. And I don't think it should be like that. Yeah. So on the topic of parenting, <laughs> um, let's talk about your current career um, and, you know, your role um, as an educator. So, so give us, give us the background on that, uh, please. Yeah, so I work for a regional land trust um, here in Southwest Florida. Yes, that's where we are. Um, and that essentially means that I get to teach kids about nature. I run um, youth education programs uh, in a couple of the Southwest Florida counties, uh, which means I get to sometimes be a person who's like, you're going outside and I don't care how you feel. Uh, but most of the time I'm taking an inordinate amount of time to foster relationships with kids. Um, so that, again, going outside doesn't become a chore. It's just something that, you know, Miss Sabrina stopped by and then we're going to go outside and that's fine. Um, or sometimes, like, we'll have food outside and they're like, oh, this isn't awful. And I'm like, yes, it's not awful. Um, and that eventually morphs into us going on hikes and doing all this stuff. And it's very fun. Um, I, I do enjoy just showing kids, like, the cool public lands that are available to them. Um, and I mean available to them, like it's, it's for them. And I like that a lot. I, I love the, the experience of being like, Hey, you can just hold that bug. You got to put it back. Like don't crush it, but you can hold it. It's fine. Um, or being like, Hey, look at that bird. That's a cool bird. And they're like, yeah, it is a cool bird. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And what would you say is some of the more passionate aspects of, why you do this work right and what gives you the fuel to keep going through the um uh tough points so i joke sometimes to my friends that i'm really petty um because there aren't at least for me my experience has been so that i'm usually the only like black person in spaces um and i surprisingly don't like that i don't love it um, it's really cool when I get to go to like national conferences and there are like black people everywhere and we're all like, Oh my God. Uh, and that's very cool. But locally, that's not always how it works. Um, so I, when I got this job, I was very honest about me being like, Hey, like, I really want to make sure that the natural spaces that like we work hard to save are equitably accessed for everybody. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes things get hard. Like sometimes kids are acting up and they're having like a rough go at it. And yeah. you have to be kind of patient with them because, like, teenagers are mean. Uh, they're just mean. It's fine. Um, 
And sometimes they have bad days and they're not always equipped with the um, emotional toolbox to be able to reach out and be like, hey, like, this is how I'm feeling today because of this. Um, And sometimes that gets really hard. And like sometimes the way the world is right now uh, makes things kind of kind of overwhelming. But I think most days when I wake up, uh, I haven't had the day off today. Uh, But most days when I wake up, I wake up being like, all right, all right, no, it's fine. Because if I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced anyone else will come into contact with these kids. I'm like, foster that relationship with nature. And in the way that I think that I'm like, almost like uniquely equipped to do so. Um, Someone put it really nicely to me once is like, it's important that kids see people that look like them doing things that they didn't think was possible. Um, And I'm like, listen, we can go to the beach. You know, uh, we can go anywhere you want to go outside. Um, And seeing like an adult being able to say that who's like, has like natural hair and happens to be black. Like that's a really big thing for some folks. So um, that's usually why I get up other than to like go outside. Um, I do, I do just like being on the land, but giving them that, uh, that connection, I think is very important. And from what I understand, you also work with kids who have special needs right? And what has been some of your experience and challenges and and learnings as part of gauging, teaching, interacting with uh, kids who are differently abled? So I had to unlearn real fast a lot of like even my own internalized ableism, right? Uh, because I, I come from a family of people with different abilities. And I thought that I was on the up and up. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And I think I underestimated um, a lot of my kids off the bat. And that was something that I had to learn uh, pretty much immediately. Also, are you reading chat? Yeah. No? Okay. Major. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, definitely, I definitely had to learn to be say like, no, they can't do this. It's just like gauging it with them instead of gauging it on my own, which, you know, that's, I feel like is a really important point um, is that uh, in any kind of liberation of any kind, uh, it's really down to talking to the people who are, who are the focus, right? In order to know whether or not um, something can or should be done. Um, so I've done a lot of listening. I've done a lot of, I've asked a lot of questions um, and I've also gotten to like watch kids from far away and be like, okay, well, um, how, how fast or slow can you do something? Like you can do it. And I want to make sure that like you're doing it safely. But again, like giving like the kids the agency to pick and choose our routes on hikes sometimes or like where they want to go. Um, it has been also been kind of cool. Um, I do greatly enjoy giving kids agency and then also learning from my end um, how to do away um with parts of my own, like, in, in sense, again, ableism, like, I just didn't understand. Uh, and it made me not understand them. And I wanted to do better. So I have been doing better, which has been very, um, actually, honestly, very liberating for me. But also, it's been great to also help kids. Yeah. yeah. And especially as a person of color, who's helping other kids, especially kids who are people of color, I know that, you know, I, I, I am not somebody who grew up in nature, right? Uh, as an immigrant, I was a city boy. Um, and really, my relationship with nature started 
after I came to America and uh, being in the right circles where uh, I was exposed to it. And then as I got older, you know, um, going, uh, you know, sort of hiking in Colorado or uh, the Grand Tetons in Wyoming, seeing that there weren't a lot of people of color um, on those hikes, especially when you get out into the wilderness, it was something that I noticed, right? And I think it speaks volumes to the value of the work that you are doing to address um, that inequity which currently exists, which at the end of the day is a source of liberation, right? Because ultimately um, we are spiritual beings uh, and we, we have a higher level of consciousness right that that taps into the universe which is a lot easier to feel and be wowed and to forget our worldly troubles when we are one with nature and there's so many um kids and people who are unable to tap into that um especially being people of color and which is why I think, you know, the work that you're doing is so commendable because it's giving more of us access to be able to be at peace and seek tranquility um, with, um, you know, our state of being. Honestly, like even from like a practical or scientific standpoint, like there's so much science that says physiologically, uh, you know, like the more you're outside, the better you feel in general. And I think that there's like a general like misunderstanding that if we're going outside, we have to be quiet and peaceful. Um, And like, yeah, a lot of times that does happen. But I also think that um, sometimes you just want to get rowdy and play around in nature. Sometimes you just want to get gross and go outdoors. Like that's okay too. Um, And I think that oftentimes uh, any kids at this point, but especially uh, kids of color are, um, told what to do a lot, like what to do and what not to do uh, in their like everyday normal school lives, right? Um, and like they go home and like they have their rules at home. And I think that um, being able to, in a way, be free to just go putts around outside um, in, in any ways that are meaningful, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be chilling out and just vibing under a tree uh, or like, I don't know, playing stick swords with your friends because you're seven. Yeah. That's, I think those, both of those are valid. And I think that, um, I think it's just important that like, not only like what like I'm doing, like, but also there are so many other organizations that are out there. Um, God, let's, you know, outdoors is great. O- outdoor Afro is also great for um, saying, you know, we don't see us outside. Let's change that together. I yeah. like that a lot. Um, and they're fantastic organizations. If I want to plug anything else, um, our local outdoor Afro, I was out with them last weekend and they blew my mind. Um, I, it, I don't get to see a bunch of black people outside at one time and they're mm-hmm. all like pounding around and like looking at stuff. And I, I, I felt at home that, that was, um, yeah, that was a lot emotionally, but also just a lot of fun because sometimes it's just fun, right? It's just, just go outside and have fun. That's okay too. As long as you don't hurt me, buddy, and you don't hurt yourself, what's the harm? 
Well, I appreciate you sharing that. With that, let's segue into your repertoire of um, outdoors, uh, outdoorsy things that, that, that you have done, because you've done um, quite a bit. Uh, so why don't you um, share some of that with us? Yeah, now I feel like I'm bragging. Okay. Yo, um, you ain't bragging if I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, okay. So when I was in college, got my scuba certification uh, because half of my field school was a maritime field school. So I spent five weeks digging uh, holes in North Florida. Uh, the holes is very reductive. It, we were digging up two sites stacked on top of each other. Very fascinating stuff. Um, and I spent four weeks, um, well, technically five, but I was sick for the last one. I had an ear infection. I c you can't dive with an ear infection or else it pops mm. in and you can't dive anymore. The whole thing. Um, uh, diving on some shipwrecks uh, out in Pensacola Bay and also up the Blackwater River, which are in North Florida. Um, and I kind of rolled into getting my scuba certification. I didn't mean to. Um, I <laughs> kind of fell into story. it. So I was in my major organization in college because uh, I still feel like I'm bragging. Um, and one of my one of our jobs was to link with the scuba club, um, who uh, usually like we work together to get our scuba certifications because scuba club isn't just for people who do mar like a uh, marine science, right? Mm -hmm. um, UWF, uh, Go Argonauts uh, <laughs> is the is like it just a, has a really great maritime archaeology program, and so most archaeologists are going for that. Um, at least they were when I was there. There are a lot of, I don't know, water nerds. So uh, I was like, I'd set it all up. I felt really confident. I was like, oh, like, this is going to be the week that you do do your super certifications. And someone's like, hey, are you going to do it too? And I was like, no. Um, so, and I felt confident in that no. I was like, I don't need to, you know, go and dive or anything. That's that's fine. I'm going to dig my holes on land where I belong. Um, and someone was like, no, Sabrina, you have to. Uh, and I was like, I, I really don't think I do have to, if I'm honest with you. Um, and I got conned into it, I just, whatever. And at the time, I was still, um, like, chemically straightening my hair pretty often. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that maybe going in and out of uh, chlorinated and then salt water for an extended period of time wouldn't be good for that. Um, and I went home for spring break, and I made a decision. I was like, hey, mom. I need you to just, just cut all of my hair off. Uh, uh, and she was like, I'm like, what? And I was like, yeah, just trust me. Uh, and I've had my hair, give or take, like this ever since. Uh, going natural was, the big chop was very scary for me. I wasn't used to having short hair. Uh, hair that short, rather. I used to have like a, like a pixie cut, kind of. Um, and so I just cut it all off. And I've been doing, rolling with that um, ever since, which is wild so uh suffice to say i spent um a week getting my scuba certification i've been doing i don't think i've been on a dive for a good couple of years now um but the my maritime field school was probably one of the like closest i felt to like the history that we're doing stuff with um mm -hmm. it, it, during while i was in school um like there's no feeling that's quite like being like ah yes i'm touching the whole of a ship that sank in 1559 um, mm -hmm. that, that's wild. That's not, <laughs> that doesn't seem real. Um, so yeah, I cut off all my hair and decided to start diving because someone else said I should. 
and I couldn't say no because I felt real bad. So <laughs> uh, that was, gosh, archaeology school was fun. Um, after that, mm-hmm. I uh, after I graduated, I didn't know what to do uh, because I didn't want to do cultural resource management like um, mm-hmm. like some of my other friends did, uh, which was essentially like shovel bumming and digging holes uh, all over the place for, for I don't know publics to go I don't I don't I don't fully understand what she was doing um so I served an AmeriCorps term because someone from archaeology school had said oh Sabrina this would be great for you and I didn't trust him and again I said absolutely not um because he was the same person that during my certification dives um mm-hmm. said hey if you just let the water take you onto the beach you don't gotta swim so much easier. That's wrong. Um, having the tank on your back means you're suddenly very heavy when you try to stand up. Um, mm-hmm. And so he and I were playing there like like beached whales. Um, and he is laughing and I was not. That's fine. Um, so when he said, oh yeah, Sabrina, you should do AmeriCorps. I was like, I trusted you once. I'm not doing that again. Uh, absolutely not. Um, and then I had no other options. So I did it anyway. <laughs> um, and my two years in AmeriCorps were the beginning of uh, what now I feel like is like the rolling into a career um, mm. in environmental ed. Like I did invasive exotic plant removal for a year uh, with a little bit of prescribed fire on the side. So I have um, uh, fire experience, which is wild. Uh, it was scary the first time. And it was really cool every time after that. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. yeah, seeing the like renewal of the land through fire is something that's, um, fascinating, honestly. Um, and as a Floridian who didn't know that beforehand, um, mm-hmm. I was like, why are you setting it on fire and having to learn the whole thing about our local fire ecology and how mm-hmm. fire Florida has a, in parts has a relatively quick, uh, fire interval. So we have to burn relatively often, mm-hmm. um, was fascinating to learn. And then interesting to be a part of it, it felt it feels good to be a part of something that you know is good for the environment um, and if i'm not mistaken archery as well right yeah uh we're getting there <laughs> so uh after i got the job that i'm currently at um mm. i got a series of certifications like a kayak instructor cert um pretty much off the bat and then a couple years ago an archery instructor certification that in fact mm. i'm doing my uh re-up course this month so it's been a couple of years now, which is cool. Because um, you, you try to encompass all the outdoor activities you think people would want to do or you think that would be, like, cool for people to learn, right? Um, so, like, teaching kids that, you know, you, you don't just have to walk around and look at bugs, which is what I prefer to do, but to each their own, I guess. Um, you can do archery. You know, you can learn about that. And some of those kids are really good, um, way better than me. <laughs> That's unfair. Um, but they're like little Katniss Everdeens everywhere. It's very cute. Uh, <laughs> teach them how to be safe on a, on a range because it's an, it's, archery range is a range, right? And how to be safe with your friends. Um, but again, it's like a confidence booster when you hit the bullseye. And that's good. You love that. Uh, and I love to see that. Um, gosh, what else do I do? <laughs> what else do I got? Uh, Cutting <laughs> down very tall trees. <laughs> AmeriCorps. 
uh, yeah, I cut down uh, my first tree in AmeriCorps. I, the only trees I've cut down were in AmeriCorps. I don't think that I would do that now. <laughs> um, but uh, I can imagine, like, me and my AmeriCorps partner, we went out, I don't know, into the field, and the ranger was like, oh, we're going to cut down trees today. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Um, and, like, you would think that like, we would cut down, like, short trees, like, you know, like, little magnolias. No, uh, he was like, we're going to cut down some slash pines because we got to clear it for birds. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's a thing that we should do. Um, and just as nice, he put on the trap, showed us how to make the cuts in and was like, all right, who's next? <laughs> and mm. I volunteered and I wish I still had that photo. It was just like, I'm, I was very small in the photo and I was smelling mm -hmm. so bright, it was very funny. Um, Cause like it was a big tree and it like swayed a little bit. And I was terrified like a good third of the time. Um, mm -hmm. And when it came down, I was like, man, we have a lot of power to do stuff, huh? Like, we as humans have a lot of power. Um, and that's something I think to remember, how much power we have. But also, like, to do good with that. Because I don't think mm -hmm. that, like, you should just cut down trees. <laughs> um, but when you have it with ecology in mind, I think that's, that's okay, I guess, you know. I still feel Exercise that hard. power. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember you telling me the story and to possess the ability um, to cut down something that is a hundred feet tall, where you are, you know, five foot something, right? Um, that speaks to the power. Yeah. Um, also, chainsaws are cool. Just <laughs> they're neat. Um, people to know. Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time when I would like get stressed out, just like sharpening like the uh, the chains and I don't know, getting gas together and stuff like that. So, hell yeah. Um, now, one thing uh, that you know I think is really interesting is um, that your relationship with nature and how it sort of impacts your, your daily life. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that had come up in our conversation earlier is um, just sort of um, fear and how we deal with fear um, as, as humans and how um, in your case, your experience with nature kind of helped you with that, right? And so as part of it, we have a few examples. Um, I think the one that's sticking out to me right now is um, your first uh, prescribed burn. Before we get into it, I just want to, for the audience, if you could give some background on, you know, what is a prescribed burn? How controlled is it? And then talk us through sort of what happened and what you learned from it that you are able to tap into in your everyday life, right? And the struggle. Yeah. yeah. So real quick, and I'm not going to get super into the science, I suppose, but uh, prescribed fire essentially is, let's go back uh, a long time ago. And still today, um, a lot of natural areas uh, greatly benefit from fire. Um, the cutting back of uh, underbrush, and the burning off of uh, what we call dust. So it's like that like layer. Sometimes if you go outside like into like a forest and you step down, you get like put those in, 
um, like all of that vegetate, like old dead vegetation and stuff like that. Um, there is a ecological benefit to that being burnt back. Um, and a lot of our ecosystems down this way um, are reliant on them being set on fire, um, whether naturally or not, um, every three to seven years, give or, give or take, reductively. Um, so instead of waiting um, for a lightning strike or, I don't know, car exhaust or I don't, whatever, um, to start a wildfire, which is less than optimal and usually burns really hot and high um, and results in a lot of trees like dying and a lot of like um, wildlife dying, which isn't really great for your ecosystem if it hasn't been burnt. Uh, recently, what a lot of land managers do instead, uh, they will do what's called a prescribed fire. And we've been doing this in Florida for a very, very long time, like indigenous long time. Um, and so it, essentially it's taking a, an area right, that's, that would burn naturally anyway. Um, and using a lot of science and a lot of indicators for um, how a fire would react to burning through an area, burn it in a way that's sound for ecologically with like um, conservation goals in mind, um, while also making it safe so that it's, you know, doesn't burn people's houses down because apparently they don't like that uh, when their houses burn down. So, <laughs> um, Essentially, much like you get prescribed a medication, um, a prescribed fire is, we used to call them controlled burns. I think a lot of people have been getting away from that because you can't control fire. You can understand how it works and utilize that to your advantage. Um, but that doesn't always mean it'll do whatever you want. Um, usually does, but not always. So it's not as uh, controlled, I think, as like we humans are, are want to think. Um, sometimes things change in the natural setting in ways that we don't predict. Um, so it's prescribed essentially in that like, we, we know what this should do uh, and we're, we're doing it with very high levels of certainty. Um, but there's always like the off chance that things are different um, and things burn a little bit differently. So that's mm -hmm. the, the overall of prescribed fires. Uh, the Florida Park Service is um, really good at keeping um, their lands burnt on good intervals. Got proud of that. Go Florida. We did it. Um, so in order to do that, you have to go through a class. Uh, it's a wildlands firefighting class, essentially. Um, and there are a bunch of those. And when I started my AmeriCorps term, um, it was like one of the first things we did. So uh, I felt so confident going into it because like I was pretty fit at the time. Uh, less fit now. But <laughs> Uh, so, like, we went into it and um, just walking through this, like, thick, muscadine, like, oaky, piney thicket. I just, uh, and it was just hot already. And, like, we were, like, setting in, like, essentially, like, little uh, spot fires that then would um, keep it from burning hot or high for very long. Um, the idea is to keep temperatures uh, relatively low. Um, while still burning it so there's no, uh, there's less likelihood of it escaping or doing something weird. Um, so you go in while the fire is burning, like in to again, like kind of like not let it build up because if you keep letting it build up, it gets hotter, right? So you want it to like maintain a decent uh, clip while maintaining a decent temperature throughout. And um, I was not prepared for having a bunch of gear on, well, not even on that much gear, but like more gear than I was used to and then things are on fire, and then you're also saying things on fire, and you can't really stop uh, because things are you're saying things on fire behind you. Um, 
And I got so heated at one point. And like the guy who was with me uh, was like, don't stop walking, like don't stop. Um, and he was stressing me out and I was stressing me out. And by the time we popped out on the other side, like of like a fire break, I was done. So I was so tired. It had been like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I was overheating. I was about to cry. Like I got real teary and they're like, just get in the truck screen. It's fine. Um, just for a moment, I was like, what if I trip and fall? Like, what if I, I don't know, hurt myself? Or like, what if I, what if I don't walk fast enough? Like all these things were happening in my uh, younger girl brain. And I, I just, just had a bad go. Um, and I was exhausted and I was like, really like down on myself. I was like, dang. Um, and then the next fire we did, everything was fine. And I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, I can just do this. That's okay. Um, so, you know, not a, uh, you, you learn, I think, to, to be less um, afraid of yeah. things. And, like, you, you go through the experiences, now you know to do better next time. Um, yeah. And so I kind of go into everything like that, where I'm like, okay, you got to, I know what I need to know and learn what I don't know so I can do better next time. Yeah. Um, so just less afraid of most things. Uh, yeah. Because, like, all I have to do is figure out, like, how not to die, uh, and then it's usually fine, right? Uh, but there aren't too many things that are much scarier right now than um, big fires or big water. So, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And, like, that sentiment of sort of, having that moment of fear, realizing, you know, um, in retrospect that it wasn't that big of a deal and how when you overcome it and it's part seared in your memory that when life, um, professional life, you know, relationship life throws um, barriers at you, um, that it's something that you can sort of uh, if you remember, refer back to and put things into perspective. Yeah. Um, I think there's another valuable um, uh, story that I would love to, for you to sort of get into, is which it the is river the, one? huh? Is it the river one? Blackwater. Yeah. Blackwater. Yeah. And, and, you know, before you get into it, I think one of the things that you said um, that really resonated with me is, how some of these things happen because you were going into the situation kind of cocky and you were humbled. So speak a little bit about that. Um, Cause I think the audience could really benefit from hearing that. So for a nature fact to start um, Blackwater river systems and any kind of water, fresh water, black water system um, are, are dark on purpose uh, just for, for, it's not an un, it's not like water's not clean. It's just that it happens to be dark. Um, so during my field school, um, I learned very quickly that I am a decent diver. I was, I was 20 something. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I don't panic underwater easily. Um, I keep my breathing pretty, uh, pretty like calm the whole time. And so I don't do a lot of air consumption and um, I'm really good at keeping with a buddy uh, and I had a buddy, like, most of the time that, like, we got along super well. Um, so for one of the five weeks we were on the water, we go up this river. Um, 
uh, to a different site than the one we're, we're working on the rest of the time um, because there are a couple like old tugboats from like the twenties, I think it was that like, were out um, that broke their moors and sank. It's a it's a whole thing, but um, on days when the visibility is bad, you still want to get your dive hours in. So um, our supervisors were like, "Oh, well, we'll just go check out a different shipwreck. Like it's fine." Um, so we go up the Blackwater River, uh, not to be confused with Blackwater Rivers in general, even though the Blackwater River is a Blackwater River. Um, you know, we just name stuff sometimes. Anyway, um, so we went up to like the shipwreck and we have like the give or take GPS location of it. Um, so usually what you would do is you do like the, um, gosh, what is it called? I don't remember what it's called anymore. I, I, yeah, my brain completely just let it out, uh, what we would call it. But um, essentially, one person stays in one spot, like connected essentially to like an anchor or the ground. Uh, and there would be another person um, who would move around them in a circle, like tapping, a uh, circle search. There it is, geez. Um, going out around the circle to search for something. Usually be like, if it's dark, you're tapping on the ground to look for, uh, feel for something different. Uh, and then if you get all the way around and you don't feel anything, the person in the middle pulls and lets them out a little bit farther. So it's like, um, it's kind of like sonar, but but slow and bad. Um, so, um, so the supervisor was like, hey, like we need two people to just go do the circle search real quick. And like me and this dude, we're like super confident. We're like, listen, we have been crushing it in water that we can see through. How bad could it be? They're like, hey, do you want your dive light? And I was like, no, I'm an adult. Um, which is <laughs> immediately. So uh, we get in the water and you know how light filters, right? So the dark, the lower you get, the darker it is. Um, mm. And in power rivers, the light seems to just, just disappear immediately, um, way sooner than you want. So like we get in the water and like he and I are next to each other, like maybe like four feet apart. So not that far, right? Um, and we're getting down, we're getting down, we're getting down. Um, and it goes from, oh, things are a little bit red to, oh, things are getting a little bit dark to like four or five feet in. You can't see anything. Like, I couldn't see my hand. And I was like, I can't see anyone around me. I don't like that. And I, like, I was like, I've made a horrible mistake. Um, and so I surface. My buddies also, they're like, we've made a horrible mistake. Um, so uh, one, I get my dive light because they're like, you should have taken it with you. I don't know why you're like that. Uh, and I was like, that's fair. <laughs> Um, and so, and we get like our measuring tape and we both hold, like he holds like the moving end and I'm like the stationary end. Um, and I sit and we get down there and again, it gets dark immediately. It gets dark so quick. Um, and so like, I'm listening to him essentially tap around in the water around me because that's what I can hear. Uh, and I can't see anything except like when I turn on the light, I can see like this far. Uh, and I'm like, oh, good. And so sometimes there was like a supervisor who'd swim between us because he could see. I don't know how he did this, by the way. Um, but he like either had like a tether to or could see the 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 line between us. So sometimes like I'd just be sitting there, you know, contemplating my death or whatever. Um, and he would just appear out of the water to ask if I was okay. And I, I don't. Know, I was so scared the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we both were like, listen, we can't, we can't be that cocky ever again. Like, I can't go into stuff like confident anymore. <laughs> if the if the water's that dark, I'm like, now I'm like, how bad could it be? It's just black water. Like, I know it's gonna be dark, so it's fine. 
Um, but back then, I was humbled in a way that I was. Mm -mm. And now, like when teaching kids about Black whatever, I can tell these stories, and it's very the kids think it's very funny, but also absolutely terrifying, and they're not wrong. Um, mm. But it uh, yeah, it's just it's one of those things where you're like, I mean, it can't be much scarier than that. Yeah, <laughs> it can't be right. And it, there are times when it is, um, but. Uh, you build on these very terrifying experiences outside and you suddenly have like a, instead of feeling like you can overpower nature, you know that like there are limits. Um, there are things you can't mm. do. Um, and that's okay. You gotta be okay with that. Uh, yeah. Nature is teaching lessons. And one of them is be humble uh, because water gets dark uh, and don't be cocky because you never know what's down there. Mm. You never know what's out anywhere. Um, so going into it, um, overly confident is uh, a bad way to go. What an amazing life lesson. Be humble, be wary, and you'll be better off. Um, and I remember when you, uh, before you went into the story, one of the things that you said was having had this experience, um, it's kind of like a, a, a memory that you come to when you're having tough moments in life where you tell yourself, well, it's not as bad as the, the Blackwater, right? Uh, dive, yeah. even though the Blackwater dive in retrospect and grand scheme of things wasn't that bad. It's just that, you know, you weren't prepared or you thought you had this like idea of what it was going to be, but ultimately it wasn't that bad either. Um, no. But it's really, Yeah. In retrospect, yeah, I was just sitting at the bottom of a river. Big whoop. Um, yeah. But not being prepared to sit at the bottom of a very dark river and not having experienced that before after being confident in diving in very different water. Um, yeah, I mean, like earlier that week, I feel like I had like run into like my first like very close sheep's head. And sheep's head, don't, they're just fish. Um, but they have like these like overbites. Um, and they're real nice and they're real curious. They just want to see what's going on. Um, so like when, like, I feel like I should have known, you know, like in retrospect, I'm like, I got scared by a fish like three days before. What was I doing? What was I thinking? When, when a supervisor says, Hey, do you want to bring a light with you? I should have been like, that man knows more about the water than I do. I should just do whatever he says. But I was like, <laughs> so <laughs> what does he know? He knows a lot. He knew a lot. Um, so, you know, it's all about, I think being prepared, um, being open to hearing what other people other people's experiences in the same situations and then like sure you, you might still make the wrong decision and not bring the light but you know yeah you learn from it yeah you live and you learn right yeah just yeah just make sure you live when you learn you know yeah <laughs> well i think that this is a great moment to sort of um, bring our chat uh, to a conclusion. Um, is there anything that you would like to add, Sabrina, um, for our audience before uh, we conclude based on our conversation today? Um, I think when, ooh, based on our conversation, I was gonna say a bunch of stuff that had nothing to do with it, but. Um, <laughs> I think something that's left out of 
a lot of conversations about land conservation and like teaching kids about it is teaching where all that land comes from. Um, controversial take hardly. Um, I, I think honoring um, the space, uh, literal space, but also uh, the uh, conversational space of indigenous Americans as someone who comes from a family that uh, stolen from another place, right? Um, I think it's yeah. important to be on the forefront. Um, I think teaching kids about the land that we're standing on in a holistic sense is very important. Um, on like a, a very serious note instead of the, the giggly notes that I'm usually on. Um, mm. I think that that's also very important and something that's often overlooked and I don't talk about it enough. Um, but I think that the more you teach kids about the things that have happened, I think the better off they're going to be. Um, and so mixing um, as much, just mixing whatever knowledge you can give kids, I think is, is paramount. And I want to be right. And I want to be factual. <laughs> um, because they're originally, uh, and I guess this is a good way to segue out, but um, when I was in school for archaeology, I wanted to do public archaeology because I think it's important that when talking to people about things that may feel really far away um, or may seem like they're, um, they don't have anything to do with our everyday lives. Like sometimes I feel like parks don't seem like an everyday life kind of thing um, and neither does our history, right? Um, I think that um, being able to share like the physical content, like actual tangible things um, that then somehow in a way communicate the experiences of those before us is very uh, poignant and I think very powerful. Um, and so I, I'm a big advocate of um, giving kids and like facilitating those experiences and facilitating that like connection with the outdoors as something that's um, I think an important legacy and a, an important aspect I think of growing up. I don't want that to be lost. Um, as an archaeologist and as an uh, environmentalist, I think that um, saving land is good um, and saving the history of the land and the truths of the land with it is better. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sabrina, for, for making the time to have yeah. this conversation with us today, to enlightening us, to all these aspects that, you know, we don't necessarily um, get to talk about, encounter on a daily basis, but that really form the foundation of the way in which we're able to exist. And thank you so much to our audience for making the time to, to join us. I hope that based on today's conversation, that A, not only... Uh, do you feel more inspired um, to set an intention to spend more time uh, in nature, uh, but that when you do, um, that your relationship with nature, be it on land or water or in the air, is forever changed as a result uh, of this conversation and, and that much richer. And uh, with that, uh, I look forward to seeing you again on our next episode. Um, and uh, yeah, love and light and have a wonderful rest of your day. Touch some grass. Touch it. It's fine. <sighs> Bye. <laughs>
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Get Out of Your Comfort Zone series. I hope it moved you and inspired you if you are feeling stuck with something in your life. If you would like to further connect with our guest, please see their contact in the description. Please consider taking a moment to rate this podcast. Please also consider showing us some love on your Instagram story. You can find our info in the episode description. Until the next episode, I wish you infinite love and light. Thank you so much for tuning in.